In today's episode, I'll be talking with the fantastic Omar Chowdhury from the 21st Club. This is one of four podcasts talking about the future of the football industry. And I want to chat about agents, the supposedly dark, murky world of agents. Um, they get a bad rep, um, but you've worked with a lot of agents over time, been involved in a lot of deals. Yeah. Is the perception close to the reality? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it's always really difficult to try and when the, the issue of agents gets brought up is to try and be balanced as the truth because what tends to be the media perception and the fans' perception of agents is uh, an agent works with a player, makes one phone call to a chief executive, player comes in the next day and signs a deal and um, suddenly takes away millions and millions of pounds out of the deal. And the second type of stereotype really is that, you know, uh, an agent rocks up with a world-class player and earns £40 million from a deal. And the truth is, all of those those two specific types of examples are really quite outliers in the, in the wider game, simply because there are lots of agents that are incredibly hardworking, brilliantly networking, brilliantly at networking, um, hard negotiators um, that have spent a lifetime trying to recruit good players that they believe will um, ultimately deliver on the pitch. Um, but the truth is, is that they're just in any industry. There are lots of different characters with lots of different character traits, um, working and trying to find angles on any deal they possibly can. And in an industry where there is a lot of money um, being paid to... Um, Recruit what are effectively world-class and elite players and everyone down from that pyramid. Um, there are always going to be opportunists that try to find particular angles on situations. So my narrative, and there's narrative I put in the book a bit, which is to just try and give a bit of a counterbalance is the truth, because usually it will be the club that will tend to um, castigate the agent and or the player for unsettling the player. But the reverse is never usually the case where, um, for example, the club wants to get rid of the player and is um, doing everything he can to try and make sure that the player leaves, um, that it is as smooth as possible and that transfer out can be managed as easy as possible. So, you know, my narrative tends to be, uh, like in any industry, there's good and bad, but especially in here, this is magnified to an even greater extent because of the huge money involved. And, you know, we look at the latest FA figures in terms of intermediary figures and you know over £260 million was paid to um, intermediaries um, on Premier League transactions from the last 12 months before this summer window occurred um, which is obviously a significant amount of money but again that's quite more nuanced because actually what we're talking about is clubs paying agents rather than players paying agents and I think a lot of the, the debate in the mainstream media would not if it be nullified, but wouldn't be as strong and vociferous if it was the situation where players paid their agent what they thought was the going rate, um, uh, and clubs weren't effectively quite in the same um, transactional space um, generally. And and that might change a little bit with the FIFA regulations that are going to be amended. But you know that that's at least my rambling um, start <laughs> on why agents sometimes get a bad rep, sometimes duly so. Other times, actually, it suits everybody for agents to to, to take that rap. Yeah. So let's go through the, those two cases. So you said the first one I was just an agent. The kind of two bad uh, bad case reputations um, 
and, and let's go through why that isn't always the case. So first one, the agent just calls up the CEO and um, uh, and kind of just says, oh, you should sign my player. Now I can speak a little bit to that in that the amount of detail that clubs go through now in the recruitment process and I have to say in the last kind of five years or so that's become a lot more sophisticated in, in terms of the use of, of data and, and really trying to understand the value of players so, so the agents almost come or seem uh, are a part of the transaction but there's a lot more work that goes into it um, but maybe you can speak more about that and then the other one uh, does a Paul Pogba need an agent because you know it doesn't take you know, I, uh, you know anyone on the street can watch a football match and tell Paul Pogba is a good player so does he need an agent to help him move to another club when that club probably identified them himself yeah I think the first one is the both are pretty nuanced in, in different ways the first really is is that um, you know in order for any agent to do a deal they need to have very strong relationships and networks with the decision makers, which isn't easy in the first place because ultimately, you know, for a chief executive, a technical director, a chief scout, sporting um, director, whatever else it might be, to to pick up the phone to an agent who knows that actually they know what they're talking about, they can do the deal, it's done, going to be done at the right price, it's going to be done in a fair way, etc. Um, that takes usually years of trust to, to actually develop and maintain. And if you imagine that that agent probably has to multiply that type of relationship maybe across 50, 60, 70 different clubs um, over, again, what might be a 20, 30-year lifespan, um, it becomes... Um, almost that the agent becomes a product of his own invisible, valuable network mm-hmm. is the truth. So even if it is just that one call, which it almost always isn't, and even if they manage to do a deal in a day, which almost always isn't the case, um, that ability to be able to pick up the phone, to know what that club wants, to know the range of the, that that club wants, and to be able to for the club to know that this person is speaking sense and something might actually constructively happen, mm-hmm. that is not a short-term uh, that's not a short-term relationship as a developer. And before you get on to the big players, I can tell you that that in particular is, is really valuable with the smaller clubs. So we work a lot with kind of smaller teams. We work with teams in Serbia and Bulgaria and, and all over the place where the information on players is, is difficult to glean. And so agents become a really important lubricate in the marketplace because they're able to provide information to both the player the selling club and the buying club on around where that player's available what his personality's like you know whether he'd be able to adapt to a new country all those types of things that you know even us you know with the amount of data that we use to analyse decisions we know that it can't always touch those those bits so agents definitely have clearly have value on you know that whole football economy where it isn't about your top players but what about the top players in 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 that instance yeah um the 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 short answer is um is that unless i believe a player is staying at one club for the entirety of his career which is pretty much again very rare and is the outlier you know you don't really have the jamie carragher's and the gary neville's of the world now really staying around that effectively then all you need an agent for is to be able to understand what the market dynamics are in that particular squad and then to work out which category effectively that player should fall under and negotiate well enough to make sure that they are effectively at a, a decent equilibrium level with the individuals that are at the same level in their in their squad. And then it's a negotiation, really. Now, can a lawyer or an accountant or a tax advisor have those type of negotiations if it is as simple as that type of um, uh, transaction and deal? Quite quite maybe so. So I remember Roy Keane, I remember talking a while back about his lawyer effectively helping 
do his one of his renegotiations because he knew he wasn't going to leave Man United and actually it was a matter of a commercial negotiation with one club rather than going out into the market. So I think ultimately it's when um, agents really do their work is where the elite player is going out into the wider market or a substantive part of their work because what then that agent is having to do is um, use their network which they built up over a long period of time use that invisible information of all the information they've garnered from all of those particular individuals or particular clubs um, that are constantly feeding information about the type of player that they want who uh, the type of category they're looking at the type of price range they're looking to try and do maybe even the type of character traits that the particular player needs to be and then they are sorting and sifting between even if it's just one player they're working with but usually it's probably 20 players that they're looking uh, to thinking of maybe having potential transfers with and then it becomes understanding the negotiation strategy for each of those particular clubs in turn and then thinking about the commercials it may be again um, wages it may be bonuses it may be image rights it may be signing on fees and loyalty it may be economic rights and that's just one negotiation with one club never mind multiple negotiations with multiple clubs involving multiple players so that's why that summer window can be and winter window obviously but the summer window being a bit longer can obviously be a very big opportunity for agents but more importantly I think for the bigger agents that are working with elite players it is almost because the stakes are so high and the transfer fees are so large and the wages can be so big that you need um, that combination of well networked information symmetry mixed with negotiation and insider information effectively on what salaries are likely to be paid to those players in order to put that player in the mix for a potential transfer because these days you know international transactions for multi-million pound deals you know are, are complex things so having said all that they're still looking or FIFA still looking to regulate intermediaries a bit more mm. Talk us through some of the regulations that are being proposed and what the implications of that might be. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's um, a, a relatively um, recent announcement where FIFA are now looking to re-regulate what's called the intermediary space, but effectively the agent space, um, and some more of the con- more controversial measures um, in place um, are uh, one or two things, but effectively it is to regulate the commission that is payable to agents. Now, the way that agents have relationships with clubs and players differs in different ways, but usually the way that things can work and what UEFA are effectively saying is as follows. If an agent is representing a selling club, the maximum commission that that selling club can pay to the agent is 10% of the transfer fee. If the agent is working with the player and the buying club, a dual representation contract, then the maximum commission payable can be uh, 6%, 3% for each, effectively. Now, um, as you can imagine, a lot of agents, associations and agents are up in arms for that because um, by pure comparison, you know, no one's ever suggested that the film actors, uh, agents should be um, commission capped and in the same way with other music agents or other types of entertainment agents generally. So the query in my mind a lot of the time, and I'm sure there will be a likely to be um, a legal case um, around those types of restrictions, is why are those restrictions necessary and are they objectively justifiable really? And I think FIFA is going to have some significant questions to be asked around 
why those caps are at that certain levels, um, why they need to be there at all, and whether there's any better alternatives um, to be had instead of that cap. Um, so, if you if you were head of that task force, what would what would some of your recommendations be around that that space? Well, the truth is, a lot of those recommendations that will come into force are actually, I believe, um, uh, actually to be applauded. So, there's a whole new education process. There's an exam that will have to be taken place. There's likely to be insurance that you're going to have to, to need. Also, slightly wider um, transfer market implications are limitation to loans, which maybe we'll spend another time talking about as well, which is important really from a talent hoarding perspective, I guess, as well. And really one of the only uh, controversial elements was whether there was going to be this cap uh, on agents' fees. And that, I think, um, you know, I was at a conference recently where people were talking about this at length, um, you know, the, their argument was we've got to do it for a variety of different reasons whether everyone is completely in agreement with those reasons neither here nor there I guess for the time being but the question ultimately is whether that is um, uh, a breach of competition law without getting too leap in the table and also whether that restriction is proportionate enough so um, you know agents are already quite rightly so up in arms about it Um, from my geeky perspective it would be great to see when those cases actually happen after the regulation has been implemented to hear all the different submissions about actually whether the rule and the cap can be sustainable from a legal perspective Agents in, in a lot of other industries have faced disruption so I think of like travel agents or estate agents um, often through technology mm. um, is that something you see happening obviously one, one of the key things that's happened in those spaces is the ability for information to be passed freely between consumer to consumer or business mm. to business uh, in football as you said you know the the agent sits between often two parties and passes information do you think that might be disrupted in any way like those other industries well it's like anything um there are certain platforms which provide clubs access to particular agents and clubs and some type of online brokering system, which I know is used across a variety of um, different platforms in particular countries as well. So that isn't necessarily a new phenomenon, but I think ultimately um, when we're talking about football, uh, there, there is so much inside of football which is relationships driven and the need for personal connectivity and contacts. I'm not saying that that will suddenly go away anytime soon Um, but like in a lot of industries that type of brokerage relationship where we're not necessarily talking about just a product if that's the right way of saying it it's a bit more nuanced than buying a house or or other types of brokerage services or a financial product for example Um, when we're talking about quite a unique industry like sports and even more unique and challenging as in terms of football um, I, I think that those those agents to be able for, to be able to have those relationships with clubs and players and um, other agents potentially is quite a dense market to, to break down and so for the time being I don't necessarily see sea change but ultimately tech is there to be able to use in, and exploited in, in lots of different ways yeah. and if I may say just on the on the flip side of that yeah. then which is you know the leader to your question actually was data really and the exponential use of data in, in lots of different elements inside the football industry if I can ask the question of when when agents or particular clubs approach you and say and ask for particular elements what what, what types of data or what types of input or information 
are they requesting from you to be able to assist with a particular job or project from what label you're able to say at least? So I think in, in the recruitment space, um, if you're talking about uh, almost like a war between agents and, and clubs and, and the use of data in that, in, that recruit, in that recruitment process, I think clubs are probably doing a bit more in that space at the moment. So clubs are increasingly getting more and more sophisticated about um, the data that they use in order to identify players, in order to understand their value to the team, and and we do a lot of work with that as well in terms of you know really trying to get to the heart of what um, how well players are performing and how much they're going to impact the team. You know how many points per season is this player worth to the team, and therefore can you put a pound value on that? Um, and I think clubs are getting better armed with that information when it comes to contract negotiations or renegotiations as well. So if a club can can go to the table with objective information or independent uh, information that says you know this player is worth x to the team and this is his salary this is what the market salary is for that for that band of player then often what the agent might only have to go back with is, is his own word or own opinion and and increasingly what we've seen in u.s sports in particular is that the teams again led the way with the data revolution in terms of using data to evaluate the value of players and the agents had to catch up and now you've got whole agencies that have got their own models and you're having these case studies where you've got model offs basically between between teams and, and agents and I, you know, our model saying this your model saying this well at least we're both coming at it objectively mm-hmm. and you've got some ground to meet on potentially potentially in the middle so I think um, there is scope for, for agents to increase their sophistication, actually get get a jump start on, on clubs in a lot of cases. You know, not all clubs are the most sophisticated when it comes to evaluating the worth of their players. So if agents can go in and, and go, look, we've done this analysis on on our player. It's not just me saying he's the best, you know, best player ever. It's all this data, all this information that shows where he's benchmarked relative to other players shows what he's likely to add to the team this is how much he increases your chances of being in the Champions League or in the Europa League or staying in the division you know based on all that then he is worth this and and it's not that it becomes inarguable because data is never inarguable but it does help anchor the conversation and help with the negotiation so I think if we talk about disruption in agencies I think that's potentially the one area where it could go where actually it's almost agents potentially disrupting the clubs themselves with with a new approach of looking at players and the one last thing I was thinking about as well which we've, we've talked about previously offline is the abilities for you know companies like yourself to actually um, identify talent through your data models that then those agencies can then go and look to recruit in different ways so it's almost recruitment from the for the recruiters in yeah. a way and that becomes I think an interesting model to, or product to maybe talk about too yeah absolutely I, I think again you know we speak about teams being potentially over undervalued in the club transaction space because they'd be lucky and unlucky players can be the same there can be some players that are perhaps playing in a in an unattractive team or an unattractive league that are still great players that are capable of playing in top leagues um, but are overlooked for for all manner of reasons Um, so for agents to get smarter about identifying those players in the first place and not just picking off the best academy kids at the top teams in the world but actually thinking about okay well you know are there players in Switzerland or Austria or Poland for example that might not catch the eye initially of um, of the top agents or the top teams, but actually, if given the the right advice and given the right kind of career pathway, they might be able to make it to the top. So there's plenty of undervalued players out there, and I guess again, almost like if you talk about teams and agents, if the agents can get to the players first before the teams, then they're, they're a huge huge advantage when the teams begin to wake up to the possibilities of those undervalued players. 
Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website www.danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast. Like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably like my book, Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. Yes, a bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All the links are in the podcast show notes. Thanks for listening and please join me again.